1170 WTBN Pinellas Park, 100.3 W262CP Bayonet Point. Online at Let's. Portions of this hour have been pre recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Well, my experience shows this, or I knew somebody who said they were a believer, but now their life shows that they're not a believer. You don't defend eternal security based on on your opinion and your observation and your experience. You defend it based on the Word of God. We interpret our experiences by the Word of God. James Packer said something very similar in his book, Your Father Loves You. He said, we cannot arrive at a true understanding of God's Word by detaching texts from their context to find personal meaning in them and be feeding them into the world of our private preoccupations and letting that world impose new senses on old phrases. He went on to tell about a former theology student of his who had committed himself to a ministry in northern England, but then received a very attractive offer to teach at a school in southern England. He was ready to keep his commitment until he read Isaiah 43.6, which said in the King James, I will say to the north, give up. Well, he expected God to release him then from that commitment, but that didn't happen. Once he read the context of the verse, of course, he realized that he was finding meaning in the text that was never there. It's a chronic problem in understanding God's word. Hi, welcome to Verse by Verse, a Bible class of the year taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We are dealing again today with some Bible verses that have been understood in a lot of ways. They are challenging, but I think that we have a much better chance of properly interpreting these and any other verses if we remember the context of the original audience. We say that when we write, we need to know our audience. Well, the same is true when we read. You'll find the verses in question starting in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. But just put your finger there in your Bible for now, and let's open our Bibles to John chapter 10 as Pastor Steve begins our study. When Jesus taught in John chapter 10 that he was the good shepherd and that his followers were his true sheep, he intended to teach the religious leaders, the hypocrites of his day, the religious leaders of his day, one basic lesson that that shines forth in John chapter 10. He wanted them to know how great he was. He wanted them to know that that he wasn't just in the business of healing blind men as he did back in chapter 9. But he wanted them to know he was God and he was the true shepherd and the good shepherd. And as God, he had a special shepherding ministry to his own true sheep. And that's the lesson that comes forth in John chapter 10. In fact, in John chapter 10, verse 10, we read this. The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they might have life and they might have it abundantly. Now the question is, he gives them life, but how? How does he give them life? And in verse 11 we read, I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Because he's the good shepherd, and because he lays down his life for the sheep, he's able to give his, his life for the sheep, he's able to give them abundant life. But he also gives them security. Not only does he give them his life, eternal life. He gives them security within this life. In verse 27 through 29, he said this, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. And my father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. 
He gives them security. They are safe within the divine hands of God the Son and God the Father. Now, if Jesus wanted these religious hypocrites to understand his role as the good and the great shepherd and how much safety he provides for his own sheep, how much more does he want his own sheep to understand how safe they are within the divine hands? If he wanted those who were not his sheep to know how safe his sheep are, then how much more does he want his true sheep to know how really safe and sound they are? And so for the last seven weeks, this being the seventh week, we've diverted from our study in John's Gospel to just focus upon the Good Shepherd and to see how how much safety he brings to his sheep. We've looked at safety for the sheep or the doctrine of eternal security. The doctrine which says once you are saved, you are always saved. But we've looked at it not for the purpose of understanding a doctrine and stopping there, but for the purpose of seeing through the doctrine so that we can understand more about our good and great and chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't want to understand just about the Bible. We want to understand the Bible so we can understand the author of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Spirit of God. We want to understand God so that we might obey him and glorify him. And it's only as we see through Scripture what Christ is like and what he's done for us and his role as the good shepherd that we can understand our security and we can understand our safety. And that's really important for you to understand and for me to understand because those who believe that salvation can be lost usually have their spiritual eyes focused on themselves and not on Christ. And that becomes the the basic problem. They look at their performance or others' performances, and they look at the sheep, and instead of looking at the sheep, they ought to look at the shepherd, and when you see the shepherd and who he is and what he says and what he's done for us, then really you have no problem with eternal security. You see, when literal sheep get their eyes off of the shepherd, then they get in trouble, and eventually fear sets in. That's just the character and nature of sheep. When they wander away and they get their eyes away from the shepherd, Fear eventually sets in when they realize that they don't have their eyes focused on the shepherd anymore. And when spiritual sheep get their eyes off of the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, then we get in trouble too and fear can easily set in and we begin to to be introspective and we begin to look at ourselves and we begin to look at others and we begin to compare ourselves with others and really fear just sets in because our eyes are off of the shepherd. We begin many times to to have fear of losing salvation because we lose sight of the truth that our salvation is secure because our shepherd is so great. It has nothing to do with our performance, nothing at all. And yet there are many people who live in fear. When Andy and I were out in California, we had the privilege of meeting some people who were were raised in a religious environment where they were taught that they could lose their salvation. And the woman confessed to me because I, I said, can you give me some, some insight as to what it must be like to go through that? Because I said at our church, I'm teaching about the security of the believer. Could you tell me what it was like? And she said it was just terrible. She told me that she could never enjoy her salvation because she was too busy fearing that, it, that she would lose it if she wasn't a good little girl. There was no expression of love towards the Lord, just fear. Fear that one false move and she had it. Do you know what changed her life and her husband's life? Their perspective was changed by the word of God. 
As they got into the word of God and they begin, began to focus upon the shepherd and get their eyes off of themselves, they began to have a new appreciation for their salvation. And I trust that for the last few weeks of we've, as we've been studying the word of God, you've been having your perspective molded and formulated and, and changed by the spirit of God. Because we've been gazing at the perfect law of liberty, which tells us how free we are, which tells us who the shepherd is and what he's done for us, and that there is no need for the fear of loss of salvation. We've looked in previous weeks at the debate over eternal security, and we said the debate was really over the grace of God. How are we saved? And the way we're saved, we are kept by that way, and that is the grace of God. No one is saved by grace and then has to keep pumping their salvation out for themselves. You aren't saved one way and kept another way. You are saved by God's grace and you are kept by God's grace. And so the real debate is not this verse or that verse that's difficult or this passage that looks like you can lose it. The real debate, the real issue here is what is salvation all about? I did nothing to earn salvation. I can do nothing to keep salvation. And that is the debate. If you understand that, the issue should be cleared up. We looked at the dangers of not believing in eternal security. It isn't an academic issue. It isn't an issue that we just study and say, oh, now we understand that. No, there are real dangers involved. And I'll encourage you to go back and study the tapes that we, we gave on that because some serious dangers will creep up in the Christian life if you don't have a, a handle and grasp on this subject. And then we looked at the defense of eternal security. How do you defend this doctrine when someone questions you on it? Well, I'll tell you how you don't defend it. You don't defend it by your experience. Well, my experience shows this, or I knew somebody who said they were a believer, but now their life shows that they're not a believer. You don't defend eternal security based on on your opinion and your observation and your experience. You defend it based on the word of God. We interpret our experiences by the word of God. We don't interpret the word of God by our experience. Our experience proves nothing. But the word of God is what we go back to, and that is the way we defend this doctrine. And that is taught in the word of God. We can defend it by the word of God, but there's always somebody who says, aha, but what about this passage or that passage that says that you can lose your salvation? Well, we started when I was last here, we started the difficult passages associated with eternal security. And we started to look at that. And we said that we could spend so much time dealing with all those little verses But we've already done a lot of that, so we want to focus on the one that gives the most problems to people, and that's Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, through Hebrews chapter 6, verse 8. So I would invite you to turn there, and this is the one that troubles people. I was speaking to someone just recently who said, I listened to the first few tapes of of your messages on, on eternal security, and I'm really troubled. Now, I didn't have trouble with it until I heard your tapes, which was a great source of encouragement to me. I thought, wait a minute, that's not the way it's supposed to be. It's supposed to help you. But he said, you mentioned Hebrews chapter 6 about it's impossible to renew someone to repentance and maybe I'm that person. I said, well, what you need to do is you need to wait till you get the tapes on Hebrews chapter 5 and 6 and it'll clear it all up. But that does trouble people. Let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 11 through Hebrews 6 verse 8. Concerning him, that is Melchizedek, 
We have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food, for everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food is for the mature, who because of, of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. Therefore... Leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And this we shall do if God permits. For in the case of those who have once been enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away, it is impossible to renew them again to repentance, since they again crucify to themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. For ground that drinks the rain which often falls upon it and brings forth vegetation useful for those for whose sake it is also tilled receives a blessing from God. But if it yields thorns and thistles, it's worthless and close to being cursed and it ends up being burned. Now that is a troublesome passage to a lot of people. It doesn't need to be. For one thing, we know that this cannot, if we didn't know anything else, we know that this cannot be teaching that you can lose your salvation because God doesn't contradict himself. And there are plain passages, clear passages in the word of God that say that salvation is forever. And God is not in the business of contradicting himself. That would mean that God is a liar and the Bible says God cannot lie. So if we didn't know what this passage said, we do know that it's not teaching that you can lose your salvation. Now, I realize that Bible teachers, many Bible teachers, in fact, most Bible teachers are going to take a different view than the one that I'm presenting to you. In fact, someone told me recently that uh, I think it was Chuck Swindoll who was dealing on, the, uh, on this on his radio ministry, and they said and he definitely doesn't agree with you. And that's fine. I'm just going to present to you as I see the passage, and that's what I did the last time we met, as I see it in the overall view of Hebrews, because you always have to take a passage in the context of its book. So let's first of all look, and this is by way somewhat of review, though I'll be adding a few things, the spiritual condition of the people. And I think that's really the key. If you understand who they are and where they're at, you, you understand what their problem is. You understand where the writer is going. Now, if you didn't hear the first message on this, I would really encourage you to get it and listen to it, because what I have to say today may, may not make much sense if you didn't hear the first message. And I'm not going to review everything, I'm just going to cover some highlights and then deal with it where we left off last time. The spiritual condition of the people. The writer tells them that it's difficult, it's hard for him to explain these truths concerning Melchizedek. Now, that was the priest in the Old Testament, because they've become dull of hearing. Now, the writer is comparing the priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ, an eternal priesthood, with the priesthood of Melchizedek. And he's saying that Christ's priesthood is like this, but it's superior to his priesthood. And he says, but wait a minute, I can't go on telling you any, anything more about this man, Melchizedek, because you've become dull of hearing. Now, literally, we said the word, the Greek word is made up of two words, no push. It means no and push, no push. You're slow, you're sluggish. Outside of the New Testament, this word that's used here for dull, it's translated dull, this word was used of the numbed limbs of a sick lion. A lion who had been sick and the limbs had become numb. 
That's the word here. You become numb, he says. Now, you know, if, if uh, you have your foot in a position for a long time, your, your foot or your leg becomes numb, you know that you, you can't feel anything for a while. Then it starts to tingle. But for a while, you can't feel anything. What the writer is saying is that's your spiritual condition. The word of God means nothing to you. I can't go on teaching you anything about Melchizedek. You can't receive it because you are numb to God's word. You're dull, you're sluggish, you're slow. You could even translate this word, though it sounds harsh, you could translate it stupid. Not intellectually, but spiritually. You are stupid. You cannot receive the word. Now, we said last time they weren't always like this, and we showed you that from from the Greek construction of the tense, that They weren't always like this. Once they were alert to spiritual truth, but they had become sluggish. Something took place. Once they were alert. Once they were were zealous about this. Once they were excited about the gospel, but not now. Why? Constant exposure to God's word without accepting Christ brings a callousness to spiritual truth. They have grown hard. They have grown callous. They have grown numb. I believe what the writer is saying here, I, I believe that he's, that he's diverting from writing to believers, and he has interspersed this letter with a warning. In fact, there are around four or five severe warnings to unbelievers. Most of the people were, were Hebrew Christians. They had come to know the Lord, and they were, they were in danger of, of going back, clinging to Judaism because of the severe persecution they were getting from their Jewish kinsmen. It was costing something to be a believer. But in the midst of the majority of believers, the writer realizes that there are some who are not even saved. They're just kind of floating along for the ride. And when persecution has come, they're not going to take their stand with Christ. They don't even know Christ. They're going to go back. They're going to retreat into Judaism. They're going to go back. And that's where he says that that you are a babe, not mature. Now, Most Bible teachers interpret that to mean that a babe, you're a babe in Christ. And the mature are those who are mature in Christ, except this passage doesn't say that. They're simply called babes. And the word babe could be anything. It it just means an infant. And in the overall context of Hebrews, he is not contrasting those who are spiritually babes and those who are spiritually mature. The contrast is between Judaism and Christianity, the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, those who were lost under Judaism and those who were saved because of their faith in Christ. It is not a contrast between spiritually mature and spiritually immature. The babes are those who are still in Judaism. They're in the ABCs of God's revelation. They're in the goo-goo book. When we, when we purchase books for our children, we still do. Little ones don't get books with a lot of words. They get picture books. They get simple books. The Old Testament is the picture book. In fact, it's the picture of Messiah. It's types. It's foreshadowings. It's it's the picture book of the reality that's to come. The mature are those who have taken in the reality. They're they're not back in the picture books. They're not not, uh, being weaned on goo-goo stuff. They have graduated to, to a graduate level. They're in the seminary of God's word, and that's the New Testament. So the spiritual condition of these people were that they were lost. They were never saved. And the writer is saying, but one time, at once, you were excited about the truth. Can unbelievers be excited about the truth? Yes, they can. Yes, they can. In fact, before the Lord ever brings you to salvation, you have to be excited about the truth. Nobody comes to Christ who's not excited about the truth, or else you wouldn't come to the Lord. 
That's the work of the Spirit of God in your heart. One time they were excited. One time they were thrilled. One time they were enthusiastic. But not now. Now they had become dull. And the writer is warning them, if you go beyond a certain point, you will never repent. You will never come back. Let's go on. We'll see this further. What does that mean that, that I said constant exposure to the, to the gospel and God's word without accepting Christ brings a callousness to spiritual truth? There's a hardness and a numbness that sets in that will not be penetrated, cannot be penetrated. There's an old saying that says, the same sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. Someone has said this, unlike a knife, truth becomes sharper with use, for uh, which for truth comes by acceptance and obedience. A truth that is heard but is not accepted and followed becomes dull and it becomes meaningless. The more we neglect it, the more immune we become. That's what was happening to these, these people. They were becoming immune to it. It didn't have an effect on them anymore. And I think these Jews are first century illustrations of what Jesus was, was teaching, what he was illustrating in the parable of the sower. I'd like you to turn there in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. This has been confusing for some, but it it really doesn't need to be. Jesus gave the parable of a sower who went out to sow some seed. Now, the seed is God's word. That's very clear. In fact, we don't have time to go into this, but Jesus explained what this parable was all about, so we don't even have a difficult time interpreting it. The sower is the one who shares the word, right? All of us. The one who goes out and spreads the seed. What is the soil? It represents human hearts. And just as there are different kinds of soil, so there are different kinds of of human hearts and and human responses to the word of God, which is sown amongst them. Look at Matthew 13, verse 5 and 6. He says, others, that is the seed, fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Now, Jesus went on to explain this to his disciples, and in verse 20 and 21, you'll see his interpretation of what he was saying. The one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary, and when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. Did he receive it with joy? That's what Jesus said. Was he excited about the word? Yes. Had he really received Christ? No. No, he hadn't. This person has a shallow heart. He appears to receive the word. And in a sense, he does. But you know what? It's only mental. That's all it is. It's only mental assent. Mentally, he's excited about it. He's never heard anything as beautiful as the gospel. You know, I've seen people like that. They walk an aisle. Their tears... In their eyes, they, they are excited about being in a healthy local church. They have heard God's people sing his praises. They have perhaps for the first time heard the gospel. For the first time, maybe it makes sense to them. They are excited about it. They are emotionally drained about it. They pray with a counselor, but they really don't accept Christ. Now, some who may have that experience do accept Christ. That's not the issue of how emotional you get or how non-emotional you get. The issue is that there are real people like that today. They mentally receive the word, and they are joyful about it. They maybe even witness about it. But it isn't rooted in their hearts. And when persecution comes, that's what Jesus said, when the sun comes up, scorches them. When it gets hot in the kitchen, 
They want to leave. They want to leave. The other day I mentioned the 18th century evangelist George Whitfield. He once said that he had learned over the years that he should wait before believing that a person had truly been converted. He said, now I wait a little and see if people bring forth fruit. For there are so many blossoms which March wind blows away that I cannot believe they are converts until I see fruit brought forth. Many times it looks like someone has entered into a saving relationship with Christ, and we can't tell if it's genuine or if that person has just been thrilled at the gospel without ever committing their eternal souls to Christ. This is your announcer, Jerry Peterson. It's great to have you with us today for another verse-by-verse Bible class from Pastor Steve Kreloff. Pastor Steve has been serving since 1981 as the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Our class today is part of a series called Safety for the Sheep. Pastor Steve mentioned that if you haven't heard his previous message, you should get the tape, as they said back in 1982 when Pastor Steve preached this message. It's really much easier than that these days. Just go to our website, firstbyverseradio.org, and look for it on our archives page. It will actually be three files, and you can find them by searching in your browser for the broadcast dates. In most cases, you would hit Control-F and type in the search field the date of our last broadcast with two digits for the month, a forward slash, two for the day, another forward slash, and then four digits for the year. That's firstbyverseradio.org. Next time on Verse by Verse.